وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنة لا يوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day The topic of today's khutbah basically was Ramadan greetings The Imam greeted all of us who were fasting and asked Allah to bless our fast and the various righteous deeds that we may do during Ramadan and among those deeds he reminded us of the importance of completing the recitation of the Quran not as a ritual but in following the Sunnah or the way of the Prophet Muhammad it was his practice in the month of Ramadan to revise all of the Quran that he had with him and as such we are encouraged now we have the complete Quran we are encouraged to revise that Quran during Ramadan also the Imam encouraged us to take part in the night prayer which comes after the compulsory prayer of Aisha though these prayers are not compulsory they are only recommended again there is great reward in them from the benefits that we get out of the prayer personally as well as the reward of following the way of the Prophet Muhammad and he mentioned that the Prophet Muhammad during the first Ramadan in which these prayers came into being that the Prophet Muhammad had prayed in the masjid and some of the companions saw him praying there after Isha and began to gather around him the second night when he came back he did the same after Isha and more of the companions gathered around him and by the third night when the word had spread that he would be praying after Isha and the large group of the companions waited there for him he did not come out he didn't come out of his house until the next morning for Fajr and in Fajr when they asked him about it he explained to them that he feared that if he had come out and continued to come out that this night prayer would become compulsory for them so out of mercy and compassion of the Prophet Muhammad for us he ensured that these night prayers would only be recommended for us to do and not compulsory for us and of course from the action of his sunnah here we know that these night prayers may be in the masjid with an imam or they may be in one's home uh, with one's family or with a group of one's friends it's not compulsory that it be in the masjid but that we should strive each of the nights of Ramadan to spend some time out of that night in prayer 
And we should remember that our efforts to read the Qur'an during Ramadan and to awaken at night for prayer should not be something which we do only in Ramadan but something which we do throughout the rest of the year that that which we do during Ramadan is really only a training a form of training for us to get us into a particular mode wherein during the rest of the year we will recite the Qur'an, read the Qur'an on a regular basis and we will get up, though not necessarily every night but at least some of the nights you know, of every week we get up by ourselves and pray in the night prayer which Allah through His Prophet Muhammad has described as the best of prayers outside of the compulsory prayers the best of prayers is that prayer made in the middle of the night when one gets up all by oneself because there is no way that one can do so for uh, you know showing off to others so that others may think that we are pious or whatever you know it, when one gets up in that point in the night when everyone else is asleep and it is just between us and Allah for sure we will find in those prayers a level of sincerity that we may find difficulty in finding in our other prayers so this is why it is recommended for us to purify the quality of our worship so that the rest of the prayers, the compulsory and the other prayers which are recommended during the daytime would take on a quality of sincerity which would earn us the kind of rewards that Allah has set aside for us who pray and the Imam in greeting us with Ramadan giving us his congratulations for the coming of Ramadan and being among those who fast was following the Sunnah the way of the Prophet Muhammad which was to greet his companions with the coming of Ramadan and this is, a, this is an important point because it may enter in the minds of some of us that perhaps this greeting that people tend to do when Ramadan comes may be in some way an innovation this greeting for Ramadan may be in some way an innovation what is known as a bid'ah and uh, what comes along with it of course with the Eid at the end of Ramadan people congratulate each other you know we it is important for us to know whether this in fact was from the way of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu or whether it was something which people have added as time went by and the Imam has confirmed for us that it was from the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad to greet his companions with the coming of Ramadan and to also, he didn't mention this but I'm adding it, to greet his companions with the coming of the Eid it was their practice so it is from the Sunnah to do so however when this greeting takes on a particular form using particular phrases 
which people feel must be said, then it starts to turn into the bid'ah. Though in its origin it is from the sunnah, when people start to make it in a particular way and insist on that particular way, when you are greeted in a particular way, there is a particular answer to this greeting. And when it takes on that ritualistic format, which is expected from you by people, and you expect from people, then it starts to change into bid'ah. And especially when the Eid comes, or during Ramadan, when cards are sent. Cards are sent. Ramadan Mubarak cards and Eid cards. Now, this practice is clearly a practice of the Christians who give out Christmas cards with the coming of Christmas and during Christmas. This is their practice. And now when Muslims shift and take that practice and instead put, you know, Ramadan Mubarak or Eid Mubarak on it instead, you see, this does carry us over into the area of Bid'ah. So we have to be careful that what may be Sunnah what is, what has been uh, decided by God as a part of the divine law as conveyed to us by the Prophet which we call the Sunnah that this, if we do not follow it as it was brought then it becomes what is cursed by God an innovation in the religion which has been cursed by God which is known as Bid'ah the cursed innovation. And the Prophet Muhammad had said that we should fear the worst of affairs is the innovations. And every innovation in religion is a cursed innovation. And all such cursed innovations lead to hell. And surely, when we look at what has happened to Christianity, we see a classic example wherein the teachings of Jesus may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him were left and through the innovations introduced by Paul the masses of Christianity today follow what can only be called bid'ah cursed innovations they follow a religion which in no way resembles what Prophet Jesus brought. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. And what is the result? The result is that those who claim to be following Jesus today worship Jesus. Shirk. Idolatry. The greatest possible sin. The only sin which God will not forgive. Which guarantees one a place in hell. This is the classical example of innovation leading to hell. And Muslims face that same possibility if innovations, although they may seem very simple, the giving of greeting cards on Eid, it may seem simple. How does this take one to hell? But what happened is that the changes which took place in Christianity, it didn't take place at one instant in time. It was a series of little things, little things here, little things there, which accumulated and 
cause them to deviate. So, the lesson in that for us concerning Ramadan is that we greet each other with the coming of Ramadan. We greet each other on the Eid, but we stay within the bounds that the Prophet Muhammad has set for us. We can greet with any greetings. There are no special greetings. And we should not add on to these practices, other practices which may come from other religions. And the Imam advised us to take the opportunity of Ramadan because in it there are many opportunities for us to gain the pleasure of Allah. And in the end, and he quoted a hadith or statement of the Prophet wherein Allah had said concerning one in the next life after living this life that if he finds good then he should thank Allah when he leaves this life if he finds good he should thank Allah and if he finds evil he should only blame himself because he was given ample opportunity the opportunities were there and if he finds evil at the end it is because he did not take advantage of these opportunities and instead allowed himself to fall into evil and as such earn for himself a terrible punishment then he reminded us concerning fasting saying how many of those who fast end their fast with hunger and thirst alone how many of those who go through the practice of fasting but all that they get out of it is hunger and thirst and how many of those who pray stay up in, at night in prayer in tarawih and all that they get out of it is tiredness their legs become tired what he's saying is to beware of the ritual to beware of the lifeless ritual that fasting is not merely giving up food and drink between dawn and sunset but it is a spiritual process wherein we seek to purify ourselves of evil thoughts and evil deeds with the aid of physical abstention that the physical abstention the physical giving up is not the end the goal it is a means a way for developing the spiritual abstention because we as human beings are made up of both the physical and the spiritual there are these two aspects which, which constitute our being and when we strive to develop ourselves or one aspect of ourselves the other aspect has to come into play now the goal of the, the fasting was to develop ourselves spiritually but this is not done in the absence of physical means 
So the giving up of the food, the giving up of drink, the giving up of sexual relations, all of these are to help to prepare us spiritually to give up the evil thoughts and the evil deeds which result from our thoughts. So this was an advice to the Imam from the Imam to us to reflect on the spiritual goals of fasting and to strive to attain them so that our fast does not merely become a physical state of hunger and thirst. And similarly the prayers. As Allah had said, that prayers prevent us from evil speech and evil deeds. So the physical movements that we go through, the words that we say, it is there to have an effect on us in such a way as to create a righteous individual who speaks righteousness and he does righteousness. So again, these physical restrictions which come in the prayer, the movements which are limited, these are all part and parcel of a system which would help us to spiritually limit ourselves, to spiritually stop ourselves from evil speech. As in the prayer we strive to say what is pleasing to God, and evil deeds, as in the prayer when we strive to do the movements which are pleasing to God. And these movements when we stand for God, when we bow for God, and when we prostrate for God, all of these movements are demanded by the objects of worship in this life. The presidents, the leaders, the kings, those individuals of power in this life, they demand this from their subjects. Stand in my presence. When the judge comes into the court, you are commanded all right for the honorable so and so and so and so. The powerful leaders have their subjects bow to them. And the more powerful they are, the more they are able to make that bowing evolve into frustration. This is the ultimately powerful leader whose subjects prostrate themselves at his feet. For us, this is only due to God because He is the only King, true King, Malik in Nas. He is the only true King. And He is the only one that we stand for, that we bow for, and we prostrate for. So when we are doing these actions in Salah, we are confirming that Allah is the true King of mankind and the only one who is due the standing, the bowing, and the prostration. And as such, we would not submit ourselves outside of prayer in such ways as to do what has been prohibited by God for the sake of these powers that be around us. And the Imam also pointed out, and to tell you the truth, this khutbah that he made was filled with many, many, many different ideas and concepts, all of which are very important for us 
to reflect on not only in Ramadan but throughout our lives. He spoke of the different levels of people, of those who fast and of those who pray. That they are on a variety of different levels. From those who get nothing out of it except for thirst and hunger and tiredness out of prayer to those who earn the maximum or as close to the maximum as man can attain. And ultimately he says that this returns or the reason for this difference in the levels can be seen <coughs> in the intentions. Ultimately this is what we call the bottom line. The intentions. It is the intentions of those who fast and those who pray which determine the value of the fast and the prayer and naturally determines also the reward from the fast and the prayer. Then he went on to say he went on to say that it was a mercy from Allah and continues to be a mercy that he has placed in certain locations on the earth and in certain seasons of the year added reward for the deeds that we do normally the righteous deeds that we do normally it is a blessing for him, from him that prayer in Mecca is worth 100,000 times prayer elsewhere and righteous deeds done in Ramadan are multiplied by Allah as He wishes. This is from the grace of God. For had it been that He gave us only an individual reward for every good deed and counted against us an individual sin for every evil deed then none of us would attain paradise it is only through the grace of God by multiplying the good that we do many times and by only holding us to account on the evil that we do one for one that some of us and I pray all of us may attain paradise and in keeping that thought in mind he reminded us of Umrah during Ramadan wherein the Prophet Muhammad had said that Umrah in Ramadan Umrah to make the minor pilgrimage to Mecca during Ramadan is equivalent in value to making Hajj along with the Prophet Muhammad to make Umrah during the month of Ramadan is equivalent in the eyes of God to those who made Hajj along with the Prophet Muhammad so this is a great encouragement for us if we have the way and the means to go 
and make Umrah to Mecca during this month, we should try to do so. To increase our rewards and if we manage to make it there whilst we are making tawaf as the Imam said and we experience tiredness we should remember the day of judgment when we'll have to stand before God and when we drink the zamzam waters from the well we should remember Allah's mercy His mercy to Prophet Ismail and his mother Hagar, Hajar and to us and as we go through Sa'i between Safa and Marwa walking in large crowds we should remember our return to Allah and we see there in Umrah, in Mecca Mankind in all shapes, colors, sizes. And remember the unity of the Ummah, the unity of faith, which keeps us together as one brotherhood, wherein we strive with each other to do good. And we treat our brothers as we would have ourselves be treated. And in the second part of the khutbah, the Imam congratulated us on our faith. <coughs> our faith to be within the bounds of Islam, to have found Islam, to be striving to practice Islam. And as Muslims, he reminded us. المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويدي that the Muslim, the true Muslim is one from whom Muslims are safe safe from his hands and from his tongue and he doesn't harm them physically nor does he harm them in terms of spreading rumors and slander and that the muhajir, one who makes hijrah and hijrah is, is is a requirement of us until the day of judgment. The true muhajir is the one who emigrates from what Allah has prohibited. And then he went on to look at some verses from the Quran wherein Allah described man in a particular way. These verses began with Allah saying to the angels that he was creating in the earth a khalifa. One who would be put in power over the earth. And the angels asked Allah, Would you put one on the earth who would spill blood and create corruption? While we praise you and glorify you. And Allah informed them that He knew what they knew not. And that in fact, the men, or some of the men, who were to be put on the earth, would be superior even to the angels. 
because of knowledge which Allah gave them beginning with Adam he gave Adam knowledge and demonstrated to the angels that Adam was superior to them and as such he had the angels bow to Adam and the Imam questioned this quality which was given to Adam which was inherited by his descendants is this a fact for all of Adam's descendants? if so why are people then in two different groups? those who follow guidance from God who believe, who love good who strive to do good who remember Allah, worship Him, fast, and are charitable, those who recite the Qur'an, the scriptures, they are rewarded if they recite them with ease, and if they find difficulty in reciting them but continue to recite them, their reward is double, and they seek forgiveness from their Lord, for whatever ill that they do this is one group and we have at the same time another group who reject faith who strive to do evil and who corrupt the earth these are all among the descendants of Adam are they all superior to the angels? Obviously not. Those who are superior to the angels are those who follow the commandments of God. And it is false faith for one to claim closeness to Allah and one does no good. For one to say, I'm a Muslim, it says on my passport. It says on my iqamah that I am a Muslim. This is false faith. One is a Muslim if one does what a Muslim is supposed to do and believes what a Muslim is supposed to believe. So the Imam went on to remind us that we should remember Allah as much as we can. Allah bidhikri Allahi tatma'inna al-kuloob It is only to the remembrance of Allah that hearts find rest. And it is in the remembrance of Allah that we do righteousness and avoid evil. And Allah knows our end. What is the end of this life? Where we will be? What we will do? and has not given us any burden which is too great for us to bear in this life. So we must reflect that all that He has commanded us to do and all that He has prohibited us from doing is for our benefit. It is to bring some good for us and to prevent some evil from befalling us. Though we may see in something which Allah has prohibited something which may appear to be good to us as an individual 
the harm for the community as a whole will be there. And though we may see in something which has been commanded what may appear to us to be something harmful as an individual, the benefit for the community as a whole will be there if we reflect. And he reminded us of the case of Moses and the followers of Moses. That they had been prohibited fat, the fat of the animals. But that they sold this fat and ate the price. When in fact, if something is prohibited, the sale and the benefit from that sale is also prohibited. So it is not enough for us as Muslims to say, well, we are prohibited to drink alcohol, but we may produce it and sell it, no? It's not enough for us to be prohibited from worshipping idols, but we may make them and sell them, no? And he went on to point out that after Moses' people were saved by taking them across the Red Sea, that in response to that blessing of God, that huge, magnificent miracle, the parting of the waters of the Red Sea, these people went back to worshipping idols, in imitation of the people from whom they had come, and the peoples from whom they met in their travels. And these are all reminders for us. And he closed the khutbah reminding us that the sweetness of faith has with it a happiness that nothing in this world can compare to. The happiness that we find when we have tasted the sweetness of faith is beyond any other happiness that we may experience in this life. The happiness of wealth and of family go. They come and they go. But the happiness that comes from realizing faith in God is something which is everlasting. It never goes. And the blessings which come from it are multiplied by God. And that God blesses those around us, our descendants, etc. because of the attainment of true faith. And he gave the example from the Quran of the case of Moses and Khidr who had been sent to teach Moses Prophet Moses, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, Khidr was sent to teach him something, something of the ways of God. <coughs> and in one of the lessons, after Khidr and Moses had been maltreated by a people, and on their way out of the town, they found a wall which was crumbling, and Khidr rebuilt that wall. And Moses asked, why you would do this? 
after the people have treated us so badly, why would you do this? And Khidr informed him that underneath the wall was a treasure. Monies which had been buried by the parents of two orphans. And that by rebuilding the wall, that treasure would be protected for them when they reached the age when they could benefit from them, from the treasure, it would be available to them. And this was for them because their parents were righteous. They were righteous parents, so Allah, through His mercy, protected and provided for their righteous children. And He closed the khutbah asking Allah to beautify us with the beauty of faith. Uh, if there are any points from the khutbah which uh, I missed, as I said, the Imam spoke on many matters. And perhaps I didn't catch everything. So if there are any points which I missed, anybody would like to add? If not, if there are any comments people would like to make concerning these thoughts on Ramadan, the greeting, and the importance of utilizing the opportunity of Ramadan to avail ourselves of the grace of God. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the, uh, the card was uh, following the equipment, perhaps the food, perhaps the one else. And I, I don't think no one would necessarily argue that it's not necessarily bond. But in line of uh, uh, some of us, most of us, uh, here, well, come from a different country, we come here, and around on the and we would like to spend around on greeting to perhaps our family or friends back home. How do we do that without some way, one way or the other, following the simply, simply, we may call them. If it's too expensive, we can, you know, afford to call them, or we write them, and in our letters we greet them. It is done without having to resort to the card, the card which becomes like a ritual sent every year at that time and expected, you know, a return is expected. And you judge people by whether they respond to your card or whether they don't respond to your card. I mean, this is, I'm not saying everybody does this, but this is what tends to build up out of it as it does with the Christmas card. So we may greet them. In writing a letter to them, we may greet them with Ramadan. You know, and I say honestly that, you know, I've received letters from people in different parts of the world of written me and in the course of the letter talking about other things, they know Ramadan is coming and they greet me with the coming of Ramadan. And it's done without resorting to the card which has become, which has, which is stripped directly out of the practices of other religious faiths, which has a connection to the religious practices. Because as we said before, when we talk about innovations, if there are innovations in things which are not connected to the religion, Islam has no uh, problems or objections. 
with such innovations. The innovations which come in the masjid, we've got carpet on the floor now, it's an innovation. Islam is not against, you know, putting fans in light. These are innovations, they didn't exist in the time of the Prophet Muhammad Islam does not want us, you know, as you have some sects of Christianity, you know, like the Amish and others, who take a particular dress and a way, you know, they, some of them, they refuse to use electricity because for them this is innovation, so they will drive around in buggies and, you know. We're not in that way that we're, wherein we feel that we cannot change anything. No. We are clear. Those things which are directly related to the religion, this is the area where change is not allowed. Because the religion came from the Prophet Muhammad From Allah to the Prophet Muhammad Whereas the affairs of our material life, this is subject to change, development, based on the improvements in technology, etc., which ultimately comes from Allah. If we use these instruments to improve the quality of our lives, then it is good. If we use these instruments for evil, then it is evil. Even, uh, you never, I mean, all that what you say is true and no one can doubt it, but you never address what is religious about the card. Because cards are a sense for a variety of things. But what is religious, say that this is religion. Granted, it came from the group. No one doubts that. It came from the group. Or so did the television. So did the, uh, the telephone. It came from that group. And we use that. We use that as means to communicate. So what is particular about that card that says that this is from their religious group, this is from their religious practice? I think that the Christmas card, the card which is sent at Christmas, a card which is prepared and sent at Christmas, this is a religious practice on their part. Easter. And Easter, you know, Valentine's Day, the, the other... You know, the point is that these are clearly connected with the religion. They have introduced it as such. It is true that the card may be used as a get well card, you know, a person is sick, and the card may also be sent, you know, to, as a get well card, etc. But the sending of the card, particularly for that religious uh, uh, festival or the religious season or occasion, this is from their practices. So for us... But not from their religious practices. It's from their practice, yes, but not from their religious practice. But it is, a religious, it is a religious practice for them. Then, uh, a get-well card, a happy birthday card, uh, you graduated from uh, high school or university or mother, these are all the occasions that they have cards for just about every occasion you could possibly think about. Anniversary, birthday, new birth, uh, promotion, all these things. Are you saying these are part of the religion? No, I'm saying that if you send a card for get-well, Right, a get well card. This is okay, no problem. Because the get well card has no connection with the religious and a religious occasion. For you to send a card congratulating somebody on graduating, there's no harm. But now the sending of the card on the religious occasion, which resembles their sending of the, the card on their religious occasion, this is what then, in my estimation, uh, involves a uh, imitation of people in a religious 
matter which becomes when we do it an innovation, in my opinion. Uh, that's, you know, as far as I can I give you for myself, you know, if uh, uh, then there is, uh, you are always welcome, as I said, you know, to ask others, because I'm not the leading authority on anything, you know, please ask some of the other scholars who are here, you know, to get further feedback on the subject if you feel you know, some doubt still within yourself concerning it, you know, please do so and if you have other feedback, please bring it next week and let us all, you know, share further. So, in summary, you're saying this is a justice, religious, not anything to do with other things like Father's Day, Father's Day, congratulations, etc., but it's a relatively new year, right? Well, I'm saying concerning, you know, there are some of these other times, New Year's Day, you know, other times which become uh, festivals which are not accepted for a Muslim to take part in. You see, these are the times we stay out of, you know. Mother's Day which becomes like an Eid. These things which are coming regularly every year at that particular point, we cannot take in part in those either. But the ones which are, you know, uh, which have no set time, make a distinction between the two. I've got a my mother said me congratulations on my Indian mom that mom. Should I tell her don't sit me congratulations? No, I just uh, there's not I mean this is your mother's a non Muslim for sending you the card. You know, alhamdulillah, I mean this is nothing uh I mean if she accepted Islam, you know, for you to write her and, you know, congratulate her, you know, perfectly okay. Sure. Our brother's question was, how do we relate the intention to greet somebody uh, with the practice of giving the card? Our intention, if the intention is not to imitate the practice of another people in giving the card, but our intention is to greet, but we are doing this practice. Okay, I would say, if our intention is to beautify our hope, and there's nothing wrong with the intention of beautifying our home. But we beautify it by bringing the idols of other people in our home. We can see obviously that this is not acceptable. 
Though this may be a, a valid and, and, and acceptable intention to want to beautify our home, for us to take, bring pictures of human beings and animals and bring idols, causes, we never call them idols, idols, we call them statues, you know, figurines. We've got a variety of other names for them, you know, little animals and things like this. We bring them into our home to beautify our home. Very beautiful intention. Islam doesn't prohibit it. But the means is wrong. It's not acceptable. So, intentions and truly, Prophet has said that deeds are judged by intentions, ultimately. You know? However, we are also required to comply with the commandments of God and behind them ultimately our intentions will be uh, used to judge how we fulfill those commandments. So the concept of intention is not one wherein we say don't question me about the evil that I do God alone knows my intention. No. No. You do evil, Islam has a system to deal with you when it is implemented. The one who commits adultery or fornication is not asked what was your intention when you were doing it. That is with Allah. But in this life what you have done is wrong and you will be punished for it. I mean, this is going to the extreme of the question of intention and practice. Just to try to, you know, because when you look at it in the extreme, it's very obvious, right? When you look at it in the very simple part, sometimes it doesn't become so clear. But now, you see, what is prohibited in large amounts is prohibited also in small amounts. You know, this is the principle of Islam. Actually, this statement was made in reference to alcohol, but you can use it as a general principle. Now what becomes prohibited in the obvious when you see it in the very, you know, open sense, when you take it down to the, to the more hidden sense, it is also prohibited. So it's a principle here. Intention doesn't make an evil act or an incorrect act correct. If we know something is not correct, it is imitation of a people, etc., then we must avoid it. But truly, and I'm not negating the fact, that Allah, in His grace, can take from the incorrect action of a person, one who has done something in ignorance, would give reward for that. And the classical example of that is the case mentioned in Sahih Bukhari of an individual who feared God. When the time came for him to die, he was so afraid of meeting God with the sins that he had done. He did righteousness too, but he knew inside himself of the sin he had done that you know, really had no you know, explanation to God. So fearful of this, so fearful of God, that he asked his children that when he died to burn his body, burn it up into ashes, throw some of it, sprinkle it on the land and some of it in the sea, so that Allah wouldn't be able to bring him back together and hold him to account. Okay, of course, this concept is a wrong concept. To think that Allah cannot bring you back together, you know. And surely when, the, when His children did it, and Allah caused all the pieces on the earth and in the sea to come back together and bring Him back, and Allah asked Him why He did this. Of course, knowing why He did it, but asked Him just to bring out this concept to us, 
He said, I did it out of fear of you. And Allah forgave him. So this is in a case of ignorance. Man who in ignorance has done this. But it is motivated by fear of God which is greater. So Allah forgave him of the wrong action and blessed him for his fear of God. So I said, this is an exception. When we're dealing in a circumstance where things are clear, then we have to avoid what is wrong. What we have done out of ignorance in the past with good intentions, but it was out of ignorance, we didn't have an opportunity to realize that it was in fact wrong, then we have an opportunity, Allah willing, to take of His grace as that individual uh, received. No. Although the question was in regards to the, the added blessings for making Umrah in Ramadan, is there even greater blessing for making Umrah on the 27th which is or which has been identified by the masses of Muslims as being the day or night of what is known as Laylatul Qadr the night of power which Allah has said you know the worship in it is equivalent to a thousand the worship of a thousand months no if this had been so then the Prophet Muhammad would have said so and he didn't. So for one to intent, to intentionally head out for, for Umrah at that particular day, you know, and for people to now make this, that particular, this has become the dhamma. This something which Umrah and Ramadan, which normally was perfectly okay, recommended. Added addressing, once it got distorted into a practice which was no longer according to the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad it turned over and became something which was cursed, bid'ah. <coughs> well, you know, the question again, uh, after Taraweeh prayers, the night prayers, commonly, Tahajjud is prayed. Oh, sorry, Witter is prayed. That is the odd number of uh, units of prayer to complete the prayers on the night. If one then later on gets up in the night for prayer on his own, what does one do then? Because uh, there is already statement of the Prophet Muhammad that the witr or this odd number should be the last prayer, let this be your last prayer of the night. So you have already done it. Well, if you get up for tahajjud in the night, you get up at a later point in the night, you get up for night prayer, then you do so without repeating the witr. Yeah, just two at a time. Do whatever you wish, and you stop at that. Yeah, you could do that, but he was saying in the case where you've already done it, what do you do? You know? So if you know, for example, it is your intention, for example, to get up at a later point in the night, as our brother was adding, then when you finish that added prayer at night, you don't, don't do the witr along with the imam. 
But when you get up at the night, then you can add it at that point. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, the question is, uh, when the Imam prays the witter, if you have played, played along with him all the way to the point of witter, and he makes salam, completing it, can you then get up and, you know, as if you had missed one rakah, and make another rakah to make it odd again? Well, I don't know if he had shaking yes, yes, but I, I would, I would, uh, leave a big question mark on that one, you know. I would not feel comfortable with that one, because I understand that. I understand that. But you know, you know, when you think about it this way, right? When you're praying behind an Imam, you're supposed to follow that Imam. Prophet ﷺ had said, the Imam is set for it to be followed. So, you are then required, whatever the circumstance, whether it is the rain prayer, or, you know, the prayer for fear, or the, the, the uh, what do you call, um, eclipse, or whatever prayer, which are not compulsory prayers, you are supposed to follow the Imam. You don't go on the prayer and make your own version. So now, the only time that you are allowed, after the Imam completes his prayer, to get up, and add some more, is when you have missed something in joining it. That is the norm. That is what the Prophet ﷺ taught us. Now, what you are introducing when you are saying now, well, we have prayed with her along with him, but I don't really want to make it with her. I want to make it shafa. I want to take it back to being an a, um, even, even number again. He questioned it. This said, uh, I don't feel comfortable with this at all. Personally, I don't feel comfortable with that. <laughs> No, brother, brother, you know, I, in, always in Islam, our thing is not what many people do. Okay. Because, okay, many people do all kinds of things, okay? But what we're looking at here is the principle, the principle here. As I said, you know, as I said, right, I have given you what I have, what I, how I feel, you know? And you have to choose, you go ask other people, and you choose for yourself, and you do what you feel right with. You know, as Prophet said, you know, what is right? is what, you know, you feel comfortable in your heart. And what is wrong is you will feel uncomfortable about it no matter what fatwas, whatever rulings have been given by this one and that one and the other one you still feel uncomfortable, then better you leave that. Yes. Ask your heart. I mean, what? It's better to leave the things in which there are doubts for the things about which you are sure. As a general principle. Um. Uh, 
Combined between the both. See, the danger of this kind of reasoning, you see, we have in the Hanafi Mazhab a way in which they make salah when they hold their hands, right? They're taught that when you place your right hand on your left hand, what you do is you grasp your hand by putting the thumb around and the little finger around, then you place these fingers on here. They explain why we should hold our hand in this fashion. This is something which is not recorded from the Prophet Muhammad at all. Okay? They explain, and he said, pray as you see me pray. And how they explain it is that the Prophet Muhammad used to grasp his hand sometimes. And he used to place his hand sometimes. So to combine between the two, we will grasp with these two and place with these three. You see, but the thing is that we have to be very careful about this line of reasoning. Where in an attempt to try to combine between this and that, we create something which was not done by the Prophet Muhammad and his companions. You know? So uh, what I'm suggesting, what I'm suggesting is that this is not something which we have to do. See, if this is something which we had to do, then we have to work out something. But this is something which is optional. We have a number of other options. So why not take the other options which we are certain about, which are clearly okay, instead of going into something which there are question marks about? No matter who argues and explains and sticks together, I'm just saying, there is danger here. And this is just my advice to be aware. Well, I would suggest, brother, you see, that those two things cannot be combined. You see, it's not always that there are two things that you may want to do that you can combine. There are a number of things that we may wish to do, but sometimes you just can't combine them. I'm sure if you think about in the religion, there are a number of things that we would like to do. We have to combine this practice and that practice, but they just don't come together. Because there is a point at which you can't put them exactly together. So what you do in this case, brother, is you go all the way to ten rakah, and when he makes tasleem for the ten, you leave off the one which would make up the witter, the final odd number, and you continue to pray yourself. See, because following the Imam exactly to exactly what he did is not compulsory. It is not compulsory. See, this is what comes up, for example, in the same issue. We have the Prophet has said <coughs> that to pray by yourself behind the line, your prayer is not accepted. Right? If people line up in prayer, for you to choose and go and pray all day by yourself behind the line, this is, your prayer is not accepted. You're not praying with the Jama'ah. You have been commanded to pray in the group together, in the masjid. So for you to choose to go off and pray by yourself, this is not accepted. The prayer is not accepted. Okay? We have this principle. An individual who comes to the prayer 
after the line is complete. Right? And he finds the line is free from one end to the other. He remembers the hadith. To pray by yourself behind the line, your prayer is not accepted. What do you do? <laughs> now, what some people have suggested is that you pull somebody from the middle of the line back to line up with you, or somebody from the end of the line back to line up with you, so that you can pray with this person, right? You know, and this is a practice which is commonly done here. You don't find it empty. Yeah, you know, this, you know, you're disturbing. When you pull from the middle, everybody else is shifted over. Now you mess up the, the prayer for everybody else. And the man you're dragging back in the prayer. <laughs> so that you could fulfill the requirement of this hadith. It's a very noble thought, but look at the effects of your action. You see, one, you have to look to see, did the Prophet Muhammad and his companions do this? We have no record of them doing it. So, what we then have to look back at this hadith, what, how do we have to look at this hadith now? We have to look at it in another light. What was the intent of the hadith? Was it for a person who found no space, or a person who chose to pray by himself? Obviously, it is for somebody who chooses to pray by himself. So a person deliberately, because he feels, you know, I am a this or I am a that, and all the people in the line are poor people, I prefer to pray by myself. You know, I'm wearing nice clean clothes, their clothes are a little, you know, so I'm going to pray back by myself. This is the prayer which is not accepted. But one who comes, his intention is not to pray by himself, but that's all that's left. Inshallah, there are other people coming, the prayer is not over. Inshallah, there are other people coming, that they will come and line up with him. So his intention is not to pray by himself. So he does that. You know, in my estimation, this is a better practice than pulling people from the line. <laughs> yeah, I'll come early. <laughs> yeah, fear Allah, you're right. General principle, you know, fear Allah to the degree that you're able. You know, you avoid what has been prohibited to the degree that you're able.
I didn't quite get that. This was their intention why they were staying for that yes. Yeah, because the dua actually, or that informal prayer which is made in Wicca, this is something for one which the Prophet ﷺ did not do all the time. Though it has become a standard, people feel like every time you make Wicca, you make the dua kunut, it was not the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to do it every time. He did it sometimes, sometimes he did it. An option. He didn't do it all the time. So, even that kind of an intention, you know, it is, it is wrapped up in something which really wasn't from the Sunnah anyway and, you know, so it, that's why for us, ultimately, we try to stick as closely to the Sunnah as possible, you know, to avoid these kind of combinations where we're trying to get the best of both worlds and end up with nothing of either world, you know, <laughs> inshallah. And uh, inshallah, I think we should close up now, you know, thanking everybody for coming and congratulating everybody on the uh, Ramadan. And we pray that Allah accept your, your Ramadan, your fasting, and uh, reward you all as fully as uh, you deserve. And um, we close with the dua of the Prophet Muhammad Sallam. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha 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 il